This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. By now, wherever you are listening or watching uh, this, this broadcast, you've heard about the horrific shooting deaths of eight people who were either working in or patronizing three different spas in Atlanta, six of which were Asian American women, uh, one white man and one Latino man. And as we think through just who these people were, I think we know that uh, whenever horrific things happen, there's, uh, there's, there should be a sense of urgency to humanize the victims so that we are aware of who they actually were. One of the victims was uh, a mother of two, uh, two young men. Another was uh, the owner of one of these establishments who was a, a UGA graduate. Another was a contractor who likely was on site to uh, discuss installing an alarm system. Uh, Two of the victims were a husband and wife, Asian couple who were there to get a couple's massage. They left behind a 13-year-old son and an eight-month-old daughter. Now, these shootings have occurred in the midst of a recent wave of attacks against the Asian American community here in America. This is uh, a a huge uptick over the last year that coincides with the coronavirus pandemic. Most studies have shown that there's been such uh, an exponential increase in acts of hatred and acts of violence against Asian Americans in this country. New York City has reported uh, an increase of 1,900% of acts of hatred, either verbal or physical, against Asian Americans here in this country. But it's not just recent. While we've seen this uptick, it's not just a recent phenomenon. This country's history is replete with acts of hatred and violence against Asian Americans in this country. We can look back to the 1870s in which lots of Chinese had uh, come into the West Coast in areas of California, specifically in San Francisco, working and beginning to work in in areas like the railroad industries and other places. And people begin to get worried that jobs are going to be taken. And so in the 1870s, there was horrific riots where tons of Chinese uh, men were bludgeoned and lynched and killed. And as a result, this country passed something called the Chinese Exclusion Act which would not allow for Chinese people to be considered citizens in this country and put a moratorium on immigration from Chinese, uh, from China into uh, America. We've watched internment camps be put up because of people who were either assumed to be Japanese or looked Japanese in people's minds, whatever that means, and completely taken and disenfranchised in this country. There is a long history of anti-American, anti-Asian hatred in America. There's a long history of either silence or complicity with these types of activities. And this problem 
that we face today, specifically with the shootings here in Atlanta. The problem is such a hard, layered, complex issue. It's nuanced. It's not easy to, to determine. You can't just put it in one category or one box. It's heavily tangled with race and with gender and with misogyny and with hypersexualization of women and Asian American women specifically. So while we know that the motives of this attacker have already been shared, and we know that the motives were said to be a result of sexual addiction and sexual shame, we are still left to wonder what the impacts of those actions are. Who stands to suffer because of those actions? We know that it is not sufficient to just weigh intentions alone when we're looking at a problem like this. It's not sufficient to just look at, did the person intend to target Asian American women when doing this? We have to ask who is impacted by it. I've said this, people have said this before, and by way of analogy, just consider the, the act or the work of a mosquito. A mosquito's desire is to draw blood. Its intention is to draw blood, but its impact may be to leave you with malaria. You cannot separate intent from impact. You cannot leave out impact. Who is impacted is going to help us understand the nature of the pain, the nature of just how difficult this is for certain people groups. And in this case, Asian Americans, and even more specifically, Asian American women. Now look, this is convoluted. We don't have time to walk through all of the different lines and the different strata and the different issues that, that play out here. We, we don't have time to hear in this sermon. It would be really long. I know I have a penchant for going long and we could easily do that. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of digging. There's a lot of searching. There's a lot of hearing and listening we need to do. But in the meantime, how do we respond? What do we say? Well, I'll just tell you this. I think that we, as Christians, if we claim to follow Jesus, there are some things that we respond with in knee-jerk fashion that I'm not convinced we think deeply enough about. In other words, there are things that we think are good Christian responses that really function as sad Christian cop-outs. And that shows up in certain phrases that we see, say, words that we utter, aphorisms that we, that we say. And, and a lot of times it happens for well-intended reasons or, or at least understood reasons. Many times it happens because we don't know what else to say. The issues are so big and so complex and even more so, the issues seem so much out of our control that we don't know what else to do or say. And so we repeat certain common refrains, and one of which, something again that is well-intended, but might not necessarily be appropriate, depending on what we know and what we think, is the phrase, come Lord Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. Things are really hard. People share something really painful. There's something that happens. We've seen this happen even with other acts of hatred. 
When people have been bludgeoned or killed or, or certain laws disproportionately impact certain people and there's horrible pain as a result. Things that happen in the African-American community that have happened for centuries that seems to not have been dealt with satisfactorily. And what people often will do, especially amongst Christians and even more specifically amongst white Christians, is to respond with, that is so sad, I'm going to pray, come Lord Jesus, come. Now what's the implication of that? The implication is this problem is so bad and so beyond our ability to affect change that the only answer is to wait for Jesus to return in order to change it. Now that sounds holy. That sounds pietistic. It sounds like maybe a good Christian or biblical response. And yet I would say that it is wholly untrue. These are issues that are in our capacity to affect change. They are within our realm of control. Not perfectly. You, it, there's no question that we can't do anything to force change on heart levels for people. But we can do things to mitigate the impacts of people who have those defective heart conditions. Sin. Us. The things we all have. I can't do anything to, to, I think it was uh, Dr. Martin Luther King that said, I can't do anything to make you love me, but I can make sure there's legislation in place to keep you from lynching me, right? You see, this is to say, come Lord Jesus, might ultimately just be a cop-out and it might mean, I'm going to need Jesus to come change this because I don't want to do the work to dig to find out where I might be complicit here, where I might be condoning here. Now, these words come from uh, the last set of words and the last few verses uh, in the book of Revelation. If we look at Revelation uh, chapter 22, uh, I'm going to start with verses 14 and 15 first, because that helps set some context for that famous phrase. See, most of us, we say the phrase and it's divorced from the context they're in. We, we, we may not even realize why those words were said, because that gives us a little insight in how we should be thinking when we use those words, when we use that phrase. It's an incredible phrase and it's an incredible word. These are words, this is the book that the author says, uh, that God says, do not add or take away from, right? So, so these words matter. By the way, many times we apply that to the whole Bible that's actually just referring to Revelation, but that's a, a different talk. So those words matter. So we've got to think about that. These words are words that we have to hold and we have to make sure that we understand the importance thereof. So chapter 22, verse 15 and 16, or verse 14 and 15. Jesus says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And as he starts to describe what happens and who should be longing for his return, but he also warns them. He basically is saying, I'm coming. And when I come, I'm going to be bringing two things. I'm bringing judgment and I'm bringing rewards. I'm bringing judgment and I'm bringing rewards. That's why he says in 17, both the spirit and the bride say, come, let anyone who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life freely. And that's a little bit later. That's when he says anybody who hears this and, and anybody who adds to this or anyone who takes away from this, there's going to be problems for them. But ultimately, Jesus is making this point very clear. 
the people who should be longing for my return are the ones who are doing the work of washing their robes, right? Now, there's a lot of question of what does that mean? What does it mean to wash our robes? What does it mean to cleanse our robes? Depending on the version of the Bible you use, those words are a little bit different. And part of that is because the original Greek actually is a little bit difficult to know which meaning or which uh, uh, rendering of the Greek people should be uh, applying here. Right. Because in, in, in one set of manuscripts, it seems to read uh, washing their robes In another set of manuscripts. Uh, it seems to read in the Greek looks very similar. It seems to read uh, keeping his commandments. And so some versions will say Jesus actually says uh, those that keep his commandments, those that keep my commandments versus those who wash their robes. But ultimately, when we really think about contextually what's happening here. They both can really mean the same thing. You see, in order for us to to be rewarded when Jesus returns, he wants to find us doing the work he left us to do. Being a Christian is never just passive. Yes, our salvation is past. Our salvation is is accomplished outside of our works. There's no question about that. The the birth, the death. Uh, the, the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, our belief in that, that is what brings us genuine reconciliation with the Father. That is what allows us to be rendered not guilty. That's uh, what allows us to have real payment for our sin. That is all passive. Jesus has done that. Praise God for that. But he didn't just save us and then leave us to just wait. He left us working. He gave us real commands. He said, these are the things I leave you to do. I want you to love your neighbor like yourself and even more. This new commandment, love your neighbor like I've loved you. Your command is to love. That's an active verb. It's not just passively uh, withholding hatred from people. It's actively choosing to love people. That means actively choosing to defend and protect people, actively choosing to advocate for people, not just for people that looks like us, not just people who act like us, not people who love like us, not just people who vote like us. We are to love people and care for our neighbor the way our God cares for us. That's the call. And so when Jesus says, hey, when I come, I'm coming to bring either judgment or reward. I know we struggle with that sometimes. We don't like thinking about, well, I don't want to feel like I got duty. That sounds like legalism. No, it's not legalism. This is a duty that arises out of being loved well. So if we've been loved well, we get to a point where we say, I I can't do anything other than to love the way that I've been loved. So ultimately, what Jesus is saying is when I return, I'm coming to see how you love. And the, 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 the metaphor that's used here is that of cleaning robes. In other words, if I come and I see that you have not done your laundry well, that your clothes are dirty, meaning there's real ways in which you have not loved your neighbor well. And the examples that he brings are all examples of not loving the neighbor well. 
the ways that people will exploit through some of these darker arts and magic, the sorcerers. That was a way that you would exploit and not love your neighbor well. The sexually immoral, specifically the ways in which people would use sex in, in, in exploiting people, forcing women to be in some of these temple prostitution type environments. That was a way to not love the neighbor well. Murderers, very obviously a way to not love the neighbor well. Idolaters, many times if you are guilty of idolatry, you love the idol more than you love people. You are not loving people well. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Why? Because things that are false end up harming people. You are not loving people well. Jesus is making it clear. If you're going to call for me and say, come Lord Jesus, you better make sure I find you loving people well and loving me well. Because if you're not, it's not a reward that's coming. It's judgment that's coming. We need to have real sobriety when we just knee-jerk say, come Lord Jesus. Because if he comes, when he comes, the question is, will he find us loving him and each other well? I think that we need to be careful because when we look at then in this particular situation that, we've, that we found ourselves, this issue that's happened, every single time a major attack occurs, anytime there's some form of, of, of injustice that happens, especially when it's connected to race. We seem like we have to respond in a way that indicates that that problem is out of our control. In other words, I don't know any other way to love people well in order to change this. I don't know how to love people well enough to know how to advocate for them well. So Jesus, this one's on you. But what if the issue is in our control to some degree? What if uh, the issue is something that is within our ability to affect change? Then what? Should our first reaction just become Lord Jesus? To imply, hey, we can't do anything, only you can? We, 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 we're not called, maybe even, to do anything here? That's just your power to, to do it, Lord, exclusively? Let, let's take the shooter's stated motive at face value. Let's take what he has stated. Uh, this, this sexual addiction that he purports to, to, to have and the shame that is associated with that sexual addiction this allegedly uh, led him to want to take to make an attempt to excise his shame by enacting violence on those he sees as responsible for his shame by the way please men for sure and and women who might believe this as well please be careful never to say that women are more emotional than men Please be careful not to walk into that. Men, I know that we have this problem when we're arguing and people, we get into arguments and we immediately want to go, well, you're a woman, you're being emotional, I'm being logical, so listen to this. Be very careful because when we look at this, here's what we see. The issue of emotional, being emotional, it's, it's equal, if not worse, with men. How do I know this? Because most spree shooters, terrorists, serial killers are men. We have mad emotional problems. This man was no exception. I'm angry, I'm upset, I feel whatever shame that I feel. And the, the reason why it's more dangerous when we get emotional is because we are far more likely to perpetuate, uh, perpetuate acts of violence as a result of our emotionalism. So let's just dead that. Let's get rid of all of that. Let's stop using that kind of horrible, toxic ways of reasoning. We are just as, and emotion, emotion itself is a part of who we are. So when it becomes perverted by our sin nature, here's what happens. This man got incredibly emotional, if you will, based on a number of things and decided to target the people that he saw as responsible for those negative emotions. 
for this shame, for the sexual addiction. Now, that leads us to another question. So maybe, yes, maybe his stated uh, uh, intentions are right. Maybe his stated intentions, at least we can say, maybe he didn't have the stated intention of, of wanting to kill Asian women. Yet the impact thereof is very much a large, a large the, the majority of the people that he killed were Asian American women. We also have to ask this question. What should there be something? Should there be attention paid to the to, to the to the to the nature of hypersexualizing Asian women here? There is a large history, a long history of hypersexualizing Asian women, especially Asian uh, uh, women here, but all over the world. But in America, there's a large history of that. There's a large history of of those who are in the military having hypersexualized Asian women. There's a long history when we look uh, back at the wars, both the Vietnam War, the Korean War, long history of of GIs, of, of military men who were uh, uh, having women brought in to the bases or to the camps as comfort women. Why? Because much like for women as a whole, but especially for Asian women, women's bodies were used by women for survival and used by men for comfort. That has been a problem in the history of the world, and especially a problem for even our own military, our own men in the military, were acts taken to curtail or stop that? Not satisfactorily, not enough. How do we know that? Because in Vietnam and in parts of Korea, there are still to this day, there are people now who are likely 50, 60 years old who were the products of those unions having never even met their military fathers, and it's just kind of an un, a, a, a thing that gets swept under the rug. That has been hard-coded into the DNA, into the psyche of us as a people, as a nation, and even globally. So we know that there's a history of hypersexualization of Asian men, of Asian women. So much so that we have uh, very famous productions that highlight it. Some of the most famous plays that highlight hypersexualization of, of Asian women. Miss Saigon, Madam Butterfly, whenever it's on, it sells out. Anytime it's on Broadway, anytime it's being performed, sells out. One of the most famous things ever. Those two, they're kind of interrelated. And, and what does it do? It highlights, right? And, and it shows some of the pain and the things that are there. But it highlights the fact that this is much more common than we care to admit. Now, why does that matter? Because it's bad. And we could say, okay, that's really bad. But we need to go deeper. It matters why, especially for Christians, it should matter even more. And not because of the ways in which we fail to talk about sex in a healthy way and not because we want to just use sex shame as a way to get people to act right. No, the bigger issue is hypersexualization leads to the dehumanization of women, specifically Asian American women. When we have a culture that hypersexualizes, then it makes it easy to dehumanize. And here's the problem here. When you dehumanize, we've seen this with other acts of violence against uh, when, when it is an issue of race, right, specifically and, and exclusively. We know that when you dehumanize people, it makes it easier to perpetuate uh, uh, and condone violence against those people. So with women, it is the same way. If you 
hypersexualize women, you then make it easier to dehumanize them. And when you dehumanize them, it makes it easier to perpetuate and condone violence against them. When Asian American women become hypersexualized and become dehumanized, they become convenient and often unprotected targets. Not to mention the combined culture, depending on some of, you know, depending on where people come from, there is a degree of, of, of a culture of silence and shame. So it makes it even more likely that it will go underreported. According to the National Network to End Domestic Violence, 41 to 61 percent of Asian women experience physical or sexual violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. That is the highest of any subsect of group that you can name. Higher than black women, higher than Latina women, higher than white women. It is the largest of all the groups. So what does this mean? It means that although the shooter's motives may not have been specifically racist, the impact of his actions are heavily racialized. Heavily. Admitting it wasn't racially motivated doesn't make it any less racialized. Race, misogyny, fetishization, and violence against Asian American women is a problem that has been hard-coded in the American psyche. So what do we do? What do we do? We need to be careful when we just knee-jerk react by just exclaiming, come Lord Jesus. That's the first thing. We need to be careful not to just run into our tool belt and go, ooh, I have this, because this helps me feel like at least I did something. It's my Christian way of patting myself on the back for, uh, in some way, uh, uh, using my clarion call to depend on Jesus. Listen, we might think that this idea of, of, of just immediately going, come Lord Jesus, and then just going about our business and, and living our lives, we might think that, that, that we're actually doing something. But many times, come Lord Jesus is said as a clarion call to depend on Jesus when it is more often a coward's cry in order not to love like Jesus. We have to be careful. We have to get to this place where we're saying, Lord, show me, A, where I might even be complicit in this, either in hypersexualizing Asian American women or just overlooking because I almost just expect that to be the case which means I don't really care as much. Because I not only accept, uh, expect it, I accept that as something that is just the way it is. So what do we do? Well, men, I'm going to talk to you specifically. There's work we need to do. Number one, we need to recognize, we need to own, we need to speak up, and we need to speak out against the over-sexualization of women as a whole, and especially Asian American women. This means acknowledging the dehumanization of Asian American women and Asian women as a whole in the billion, multi-billion dollar porn industry. When people, when men, when we get to a place where we can not only view such images and use that for any form of gratification, here's what happens on a mind level, on this psychological level, there's a dehumanization that occurs every single time. And it makes it, it feels justified when there's something gratifying about it, which means it's easier to overlook it, which means it's easier not to have the right kind of real indignation when real acts of hatred and, and acts of murder occur. 
because we've already dehumanized them. They're not actual kind of uh, uh, agents of uh, deserving of empathy and deserving of concern and care. And on some level, because they've been dehumanized, you don't even think they deserve real empathy or compassion. We've got to call that out. Men, we call it out and we stand against it and take acts to never participate. And again, this is not just because that's bad, that's bad, you should be ashamed. It's more than that. This is a way that even on a mind level, on a deep heart level, you, me, we begin to dehumanize women as a whole and specifically Asian women. That is something we should do. Listen, if we're saying... I want to make sure that I clean my robes. I want to make sure that I do my, my laundry. Ultimately, that is a simple call to do justice, to walk humbly, to love mercy, right? The, the great requirement. So if I'm called to do that, then I don't want to start practicing unjust ways of dehumanizing and fetishizing other people, specifically women and Asian American women, even more specifically. What do we do? For any of us, I don't care, men, women, black, white, uh, Latino, whatever, we get to this place where we have to be, be certain and say, whether I can connect or relate to that pain or not, I have to step back and go, what does it mean to love this, this group well? What does it mean to advocate for them well? So this leads to kind of my, my final note. I wish that we could talk about every layer here. I know there's a lot that gets left out here. This was never meant to be an all exhaustive thing, but hopefully this takes us to a place where we spend more time doing some digging, not just quick reacting, but digging, getting into the level of our own hearts and go, how do I overlook? How am I complicit? How do I try to tap out? And to that issue of tapping out, I want to speak to another group, a group of which I am a member, and one that makes it really difficult because this is a hard topic. But for black folks, African Americans, and POC, other people of color as well, but specifically to, for, for, for those of us who are black, for those of us who come from the centuries-old uh, history of acts of aggression and hatred uh, for the color of our skin, I get it. This brings some real mixed feelings for you. It brings really mixed feelings for us, right? We've seen this, you see it posted throughout social media, and it's not that I don't even understand the sentiment, but the sentiment typically goes this way. Why should we care? Why should we be the ones to advocate? Why should we be asked to step in and to step up for the Asian community because of the long history of animosity between the black and the Asian community in America. That is a very long history and a very long deep dive into why that is the case. And no one is denying that these issues uh, uh, are there. No one is denying that these things are things that need to be dug into. They occur for tons of reasons that can't all be explained here for the sake of time. And they need to be addressed through lots of conversations, truth telling, we need to have some real things. And they're happening by the way. But here, let me just encourage you, charge you, and hopefully even convict you. If you are a follower of Jesus, no one is saying, like many folks will do, no one is saying erase your black experience or whatever other marginalized group from which you may come. No one is saying to wash that away and erase it. 
But what we are saying, what I would, I would say the, the gospel calls us to do is to steward that pain in such a way that enables you to still be an advocate for your neighbor, even if they are a neighbor that may not have advocated for you the same way. That is the gospel. It's hard, but that is the gospel. So if you feel like, well, I don't know if people have advocated for me the way that I'm being asked to advocate. I don't know if people have protected me the same way or if they've protected me the way they want me to protect them. So therefore, I'm not doing that. You do realize that real loving, the loving that we're called to step into, the love that Jesus has shown us was never reciprocal, right? It didn't start with this reciprocal love. And so when he tells us to love others the way we've been loved, that is a call to love non-reciprocally. That's what it is. We, we are called to, so even if, I'm not even saying that it's always true, because trust me, there are a ton, I know several personally, right, of, of Asian Americans who have fought tooth and nail uh, for the issues that affect black lives. No question, right? But again, it's not about anecdotal uh, uh, battles either, right? You might have a story where it's like, I've never met any. I might have a story where I have several. In the same way that this is not the oppression Olympics. It's not about whose oppression is worse than the other. Because here's the deal. At the end of the day, whatever marginalized group we come from, the major enemy, the major sin, is the effect in which both white supremacy has informed misogyny and patriarchy and acts of hate that is and, and acts of misogyny and acts of dehumanization that has all been formed within that world so we all have a common enemy if you're white black asian latino whatever it is that form of white supremacy that issue is something we all should be battling because it is battle it is de really deformed us in so many ways in various ways but it's a common enemy so for us, this is something we need to engage. Do not fall into this trap in which we have been pitted against each other so that we miss what the real enemy is. Our call is to love our neighbor. If you are white, love your neighbor. If you are black, love your neighbor. If you are Asian, love your neighbor. And loving your neighbor does not mean passively withholding rancor and, 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 and hatred from that person. That's not just love. Just withholding bad things from people, that's not the, the way you define love. Love is the affirmative engaging in the seeking of mutual flourishing of our neighbor. That's what it is. So wherever we are, I know it's hard. I know we all come from different places. We all have different baggage. We all have different issues. But what should govern how we engage and how we advocate should not just be our experiences. Or maybe even I should say it should be our experiences that is uh, led by the greatest experience. And that is the way in which we are loved by Jesus. If you have been loved by Jesus radically, then you love your neighbor radically. That means that whatever subsect group that you come from, you stop and go, how do I love? If there are people who are, who are being harmed here and there seems to be almost an epidemic that's impacting certain people groups that I've got to figure out how to get past or maybe even how to steward all of my stuff, how to deal with my stuff in such a way that I can adequately advocate. And it'll look different for different people. No question. We can get in a whole conversation on power dynamics and how there are some people that might have more weight 
than others, for sure. But we all have robes to clean. And the way that we wash our robes is defined by the way in which we love each other. Let us be a people that loves, that has been so radically loved by God, moved by that love, transformed by that love, that now we love each other radically, which means we speak up, we speak out, we call out things within ourselves because we truly want to be known by who we love and how we love and not who we get to ignore by uttering or practicing acts of Christian cowardice. We are called to love. We do it bravely, we do it courageously, and we do it sacrificially because that is how Jesus has loved us. Let's pray. Father, we know that you, that you, you love us and that you have called us into a relationship with you in which we have been shown and are empowered to love others the way you have loved us. Jesus, the example that you've left and the ways in which you love us even to this day, I pray that those things would, would com- continue to change us and to, to remake us so that we love in ways that don't even make sense. I know that it's difficult at times, whether uh, for issues of misogyny or issues of, of racism or issues of uh, some of these acts of hatred that might seem like we can't connect or might seem like we don't know what our part is. God, will you show us? Continue to give us paths of education where we can see and learn and know better so that we can do better. Father, I pray for the victims. I pray for the families of the victims. I pray for uh, the, the, the one man who is fighting for his life now. One of the eight that, that did, the only of the eight that survived. Father, I pray that you would give us, uh, give us, give our leaders wisdom on what needs to happen to to try and ensure that things like this don't happen again or don't happen uh, as frequently. That the acts of hatred against the Asian American community would be curtailed. Father, to the degree that we have a role, I pray that you would elucidate that, make that clear for us so that we can step into that. And God, I pray that we would not allow our own pride or our own frustration or our own pain stop us from loving others well. Because no matter why, no matter how legitimate that is, it is still sin, a sin that you call us to hate. Lord, make us lovers of people the way you are a lover of us. And we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's receive this final blessing from God, this benediction that he promises, the things that he holds for us, the things in which, yes, there are ways in which our our laundry is dirty and our robes are, are not clean and they need to continually be clean. And we do it imperfectly. And that's one of the things we have to remember. Yes, when Jesus returns and when he comes, he might come with spots on and we're going to see things that we're not going to be perfectly clean. But listen to what he does to ensure that we are clean, to empower our cleanliness. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And here it is, to present you faultless. Your robes are clean before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. It is to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And all of God's people said, amen. God bless you. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.